You're listening to a DM podcast. This all just blew up. In the meantime, they're writing a piece on us in the City Morning Herald. We're getting our photos taken. And then we go, okay, we need to hit the mics on Monday and talk about this in real time. And I got to act as sort of the Ray Hadley, like, okay, and then what happened, you know? And they told the story in real time. We got that episode up on Tuesday, and then the City Morning Herald thing dropped on the week later. And and then the show just, like, just huge, you know? It was all just this moment in time stuff. Welcome to Behind the Podcast your weekly dive into some of Australia's most interesting and influential podcasts and the story behind them. I'm your host, Anthony Stockdale, and as always, I'm joined by Jules Batstone. G'day. There are over 1.5 million podcasts in the world and counting, and they tackle every topic imaginable. One of the great things about the medium is that once in a while, you get one that makes a difference. The Wigs is one such podcast. This episode, we talked to Jim Minns, the producer of The Wigs podcast. The Wigs is a monthly podcast which explores and interrogates contemporary legal issues in and out of the courtroom. It's the first and only podcast so far, featuring practicing barristers talking shop. Each episode, they deep dive into the scenarios and outcomes that make up our legal system. One such scenario was the BLM protest in Sydney in mid-2020. We found out at about 12.30 that the court was going to be able to convene. I think I started talking about Section 24. Yeah. That was the beginning of the submission. And I said, oh, Section 24 is the provision that gives the immunity. And one of the justices, I can't remember who, said, and it also provides an application can be amended in respect of its particulars, doesn't it, Mr Lawrence? (laughs) And I had a feeling at that point that they obviously understood the argument that we were putting and that it wasn't necessarily falling on unfavourable ears. And I think it was then read out on the loudspeaker by the family of David Dungay yeah. to the assembled crowd about, I think at 2.51 is what I've read. Nine um, minutes to midnight, wow. I'm going to play yeah. the video right now. Get your camera here. So you breaking news live now from the Supreme Court. The people can march! Yeah. Wow, what a moment. I give, I mean, you know, Fascinating stuff. Jim, tell us about The Wigs. I can, I can. So The Wigs is a podcast that started about a year ago. Actually, yeah, exactly a year ago when I was approached by Stephen Lawrence, who's a barrister in Black Chambers, who was a Labor candidate for, I want to say Dubbo. I hope I get that correct. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so he's a very prominent local mayor out there, but he also has a chambers in Sydney. So he goes to and fro and him and a bunch of his barrister friends want to start a podcast like everyone we know who wants to start a podcast. They came to me being the only sort of technical person who knew how to get such things off the ground and the agreement meant that I would be the host unbeknownst to me at the time and they would be the showrunners they'd bring all the the juice and I'm the bottle that holds it together I guess I guess you could put that metaphor together and make sense I hope yeah that metaphor works for sure yeah (laughs) that was a year ago and we're going strong And so you hadn't really sort of done anything vocally before? Oh, look, I felt like I'd never hosted someone else's pet project before. Mm -hmm. And I said to Stephen at the time, I'm not sure if I'm the right person for the job. And he said, because you aren't a wig per se or someone with a law degree, you are the perfect person for the job. Because there needs to be a conduit in a program like this that's so niche that bridges the novice with the... Yeah, it gives us the the audience perspective. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I feel like I fit that hole perfectly because (laughs) I'm 
learning a lot every episode and it's a really great experience for me. I'm a, actually a law student myself and it couldn't have come at a perfect time because I decided to start studying law six months prior to being asked to get the show off the ground and it's incredible because it's like a baptism of fire. I'm seeing the dedication and the passion that these guys have and it's filtering through to my approach and I just feel like at this moment in time, the Wigs is certainly at its peak in terms of the episodes that we're getting through Yeah, and, uh, and everyone's on their game and we're all hungry for it and I just feel it's a great show. I know it's biased for me to say that <laughs> but uh, we're getting such great feedback and it's obviously a show that's targeted to a specific audience but we're, we're touching the right notes in time and history and it's you know if you look back in 50 years it'll be a great time machine of legal proceedings in a time of COVID and in a time of Black Lives Matter in the time of, of everything when democracy just matters the most you know it always matters but yeah I just think it's a really important show to highlight that. It's brilliant I mean it's serendipitous with your it really is. Go- going into law and you guys are actually making a difference in the world not yeah. just educating people or entertaining people you're actually making a difference which we'll go into sure we'll go into your story but first could you just quickly give us a bit of background on the three wigs yeah so uh stephen lawrence obviously is the deputy mayor of dubbo and was a labor candidate in a bunch of state elections and my labor connections are that my brother is chris mins who's the state labor member for cogra shadow transport minister in the new south wales parliament and so um during the time that i met stephen chris was running for the labor leadership in new south wales and i devoted myself pretty much entirely to his campaign at the time and got to know a lot of the people that were sort of intricate to that so that's stephen's risk but he's been a barrister for a long time now i want to say eight or nine years and and he's a fantastic lawyer and his partner in crime who went to the bar with him is felicity graham and she is a fantastic lawyer also she brings a great perspective to the wigs and just a real passion for social justice and uh, making sure that the law reflects those who get lost in it trapped in it these guys all come from the Aboriginal Legal Service. That's where they cut their teeth professionally. And so they're all criminal barristers, but they bring with them a perspective of the downtrodden, you know, and, mm. and it's infectious. And the third wig is Emmanuel Kirkasharian, and I can't introduce Emmanuel without underselling him. You know what I mean? Like, he's just one of those guys who's just such a, like a heavy hitter, and, and you just know that you're in the room with someone special when he's in there, you know? Like, mm. he's just got this sort of wisdom about him, and he's cut his teeth at the Aboriginal Legal Service also. So the wigs, despite the fact that the technical elements came when I met Stephen. The birth of the show came from the Aboriginal Legal Service, really. You know, these that's where these guys fought day and night and, and cut their teeth and they've got a lot of respect out that way. And they advocate for the ALS even to this day, which is, uh, you know, side note, uh, severely underfunded and needs to have its funding prop up, as does legal aid in general. Um, the show initially in the in the introduction, you say you're exploring and interrogating contemporary legal issues in and out of the courtroom, and it's for those who are maybe a bit sick of the simplification that happens in the mainstream news. Sure. At the same time, obviously, you're the you know the audience's avatar, and and yeah. you're being explained to like you are the layman. Yep. How do they work out you know what that balance is to get right into the detail enough, but then also make it you know accessible for a, a wider audience? Mm. They don't. They don't. Because <laughs> they're. They're, this is what they do. This is how they think. Yeah. You know, this is how their minds work. It's all detail, and especially when when approaching the law, it's detail or it's in the, or it's death. Yeah, you know. And so I let them roll, and the the editing is really done in post production of the show. So the mics are set up, and we just chin where we we stick. I, I'm rigid about timings in the room, but that's about it. I let them go off as much as they can. And in the edit, I dare say I, I intervene at all because I don't really know the ins and outs of a lot of what they're proponing. You know. 
proponing is probably not even a word, mm. so it might not. But you don't want to be responsible for taking out some crucial clause. <laughs> Correct, <laughs> you know, and and and. But I would never do that with it. Like it's it's a it's a four way editing process. Yeah. Uh, we all listen to it raw before it gets made, and we wouldn't have it any other way. So you know, they they call me the producer of the show, but really we're all the producers. You know, everybody chips in a hundred percent to the show to make sure. But 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 you're right. I mean, how how then does a regular audience tap into a show like The Wigs? In many respects, they probably can't. Mm. That's why we have such a big fan base in the legal community because these are people who are sort of on the front lines. But but having said that, there are there are definitely episodes in there the big the Black Lives Matter win that the Wigs had breached that ground a little bit, and we definitely were able to, to tap into people who aren't of the legal fraternity and community and and, and have a listen and, and engage. And also, we did an episode on Don Harwin recently, and there was an accusation that he breached COVID laws, and we really dug into that and talked about the salaciousness of the media in hounding and pursuing him. And you don't need to be a legal wonk to realise that this was a trial by media and, and we can all understand that the pressure that he was under at the time. And the Whigs really got to the nitty-gritty of that. Um, probably a good time for a little nerd out. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are you editing in? Oh, yeah, OK, cool. So... I edit in uh, Premiere Pro, yep. <laughs> which is a video editing platform, <laughs> because I'm a video editor by trade. I've always loved video editing, and I just sort of utilise the audio elements of that video. I mean, what well, you know, it does the job. Yeah, the wigs were none the wiser. That ain't no. <laughs> I don't care. And then, what do you uh, when you're all giving feedback? Is there anything, any mechanism you use? How is everyone giving feedback on an episode? Oh, I just send them the files. Yeah, no, with Google Drive, just basic, basic, basic basic yeah. there's no it's just like look or even a youtube link i'll spit it out as a video and stick mm. up a private youtube and say look have a listen you know tell me where it's good tell me where it's bad what what stays what goes a lot of the times the wigs will will edit themselves and 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 they'll recognize what part of the law they've read wrong and it has to be streamlined in an accessible format for them but i wouldn't work any other way it doesn't need to be complex right so they're just giving you timestamps saying exactly cut this out out it goes yep and you've been doing it you mentioned for a year now yes it's been a particularly interesting I know, year, I uh, know. last 12 months, certainly. Has the process changed during that time? I know I've listened to a couple where you've been together in you know, your kitchen. Oh, uh, yeah. With kids in the background. <laughs> a bit different when you had to move to Zooms or... or well, look, that's, that, was the, that was the big change, you know, moving to Zoom. We had to do episodes via Zoom. And it, it sucked. I mean, it killed the flow of the show because being in the room, like even us three now, we're able to sort of play off each other a little bit. And obviously, as you guys know, you know, podcasting experts that you are, you get that lag on a Zoom and jokes die. It's cool. And, you know, I try to insert as many jokes as I can into the show <laughs> because someone's got it with these guys. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of them were falling flat because of Zoom. So, look, yeah, Zoom, it's not a podcast killer. It's actually probably a podcast saver, but it's definitely a joke killer. It's a joke killer. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it gets the show. Uh, we still got to, you know, we soldiered on, still got to make the show. So you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, should we, let's jump into your story, Jim. Okay. So <laughs> you're a storyteller. You've done that in a bunch of different ways. I have, yeah. Dabbled, yeah. yeah. Feature film. Yes, I've made a couple of feature films, yes. Never hesitate. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes. <laughs> Please don't. No, no, no. no, yeah, I stand by my work. Thank you, Stocks. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yep. And plenty of video work. So you had a stint with Bill Shorten and you had a stint with Jacinta Arden. Yep, worked with both of them. They were uh, fantastic people. Arden obviously just had a major win on the weekend at the time of recording and she is one of the greatest people I've ever worked with ever. And obviously it's very easy to say that because everybody says that. But uh, there's a story that I always tell about Jacinta Arden about my time with her and it's a, it's a silly story and we got along great but I knew she was something special because she has this empathy that's so grounded in reality and this story that I always tell is 
we were in a major hall in Auckland, I think, and I was her videographer, and we spent a lot of time together, and I had to stick a little handheld audio recorder up on the lectern that she was going to give her speech at in front of a thousand people. And uh, I raced up there. Actually, no, I think I said... No, no, no. I raced up there and I put the audio recorder up on the lectern. And um, I, I raced over to her as soon as it was done. I tried to stay out of... I tried to stay out of everyone's way as much as possible because I, as soon as you become an issue, then that's when you get fired in situations like that, when you, especially when you're a videographer. And you've got to insert yourself into sort of candid moments. And I put the audio recorder up on the lectern, hit record, and I ran down, I found her, and I, and I, and I just said to her, look, I've just put an audio recorder up there. I hope it's not going to mess with your notes because I know a lot of MPs that I've worked for put their notes down on the lectern especially when you're addressing a thousand people. But I, was, I didn't want to uh, interfere with her mental process and the fact that she was about to give a major speech. And, and she's like, okay, no worries, yeah, fine, fine. That was that. And I w- walked away from her and I set up my shot and I got a good angle and, and, you know, and, and it was her turn to speak and she gets up on stage and she addresses the, in, the entire crowd, gives this fantastic speech as she always does because she's such a fantastic orator. And then the, the whole crowd's up on their feet clapping. This is about two weeks away from election day. Everyone's cheering, you know, clapping. Yeah, she's awesome, yeah. Gets down from stage. You know, kia ora, you know, shaking everyone's hands and, you know, she major, major hit. She then walked back up on stage, <laughs> clapping stops, everyone's subsided, it's all quiet, walks back up on stage, looks for my recorder, no. finds my recorder, comes down back off the stage, looks for me, walks straight over to me. Oh, here you go. Wow. Hands it back to me. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, you didn't, like, she just walks off and, you know, does her thing, you know, and I'm just thinking, like... You don't need to be thinking about me right now, you know, no, like you are a bigger deal. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah. Go back to that and little. it's just like, you know, I I always remember that story. Every time I see an article about her or and I know that she has to face a major situation and she's had to face many, I just think, yeah, she's the right person for the job because no one's too little. And it's like she is the most incredible person I've ever worked with ever in my life. True what they say. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I'm telling you it's true. Yeah, yeah. don't get too jealous, Wigs. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Wigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time, she was the... I think the the deputy leader of the Labor Party and Labor in New Zealand were getting smashed. They're on track to lose historically. And the leader, uh, I think his name was Andrew Little. I, I was contracted. They rang me up because I'm I, I, I'm known amongst Labor circles as the go-to videographer. And they rang me up and said, look, can you help us out? And I said, sure, yeah, whatever. Okay, book me in. And then just before I was about to take off, this bloke resigned and said, I'm going to give it to Jacinda and give her a shot. And the rest is history. So when I landed, she was already the leader and we got on like a house on fire. She was just great. She was so down to earth and she instantly um, took me under her wing and told me what I needed to know prior to each day's event. And um, very, very helpful, very accessible and right in her rightful place. You know, like sometimes the universe works and aligns itself correctly and people like Jacinda Ardern mm. are the leaders and it, and it's correct. You know, that, that is exactly what has happened. And what made you kind of move on from there then? When the election was over, I was done. So I flew home yeah. and they rang me up and said, you, do you want to move to New Zealand? And it just wasn't feasible for me. I've got two kids and a, you know, and a wife in, in Sydney and I'm very family based here. And uh, it just wasn't feasible to move over there. And I was working for Bill Shorten as well. And I was just happy with the way my life was at the time. And so, it, yeah, I had to turn them down. Uh, I don't regret the decision. And, uh, you know, and I've got those stories to tell. But, you know, if I'd moved over there, we wouldn't have the wigs, I suppose. So, <laughs> so Lining's. And on the topic of storytelling, did you have projects in mind that you were kind of thinking about, you know, outside of politics as well? 
I've or, always got stories in mind. Yeah, always. I think I accidentally landed in politics because of my skills as a videographer, not 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 because of my advocacy in in politics per se. And 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 it just sort of it just happened that way that I was able to make a living out of it. But no, I always wanted to be a uh, a filmmaker and a storyteller. And I guess you know for storytellers, you never turn that switch off. I go to bed thinking about story ideas. It's really annoying because you want them d- there and then. You want them done. And and I know there's one on on my head right now that I wish was written down already but it's not and it's going to take a while and it's annoying because when you think you're done another one pops up yeah it it never ends it never ends but with the platforms that we've got you know it's much easier to do to tell them to get them off the ground it's just the time finding the time is always the issue so when did podcasting sort of enter your brain as being something to do Uh, look I don't I gotta think that through so I really want to be a feature filmmaker and um, at the time I really got interested in a lot of low budget feature filmmakers who were able to tell stories on really small scale budgets and I dabbled in that like long form storytelling and I felt like it wasn't the right uh, despite the fact that I achieved what I wanted to achieve the films didn't really take off obviously and I felt like I understood filmmaking a lot more later in life after having done two feature films and now it's not so much of a mystery to me in that it's not the time for films now you know like it's not the time for small scale films it's still the time for storytelling but the but the format's shifting away from even films big budget films mm. you know per se really it's it's long form storytelling it's accessible storytelling but there are still the gatekeepers and then now the Netflixes and the and the streaming services and the platforms whereas back in my day there were the Paramount Pictures and the, and the Fox and the, those kind of guys and so the elements are still there and and, and, I, and I felt like what's the new wave you know what's the, the there was a new wave in the mid-90s of filmmakers where you know there were cinemas that would just play content and if you had a film camera and you were able to film something like a Kevin Smith uh, Clerks or a El Mariachi they, it would get played the cinemas would pick it up there would be a distribution arm that would go we can sell, sell this in different markets and now I felt like what's the new wave now if we, if we, if we YouTube is just too flooded where's the storytelling now that can cut through and I heard an audio drama from uh, Gimlet Media, the produce, the production company, I think based in New York. Yes, that's right. And they produced a show called Homecoming. And it blew my mind. I just went, oh, my God, because I'm a filmmaker and I know how hard it is to get locations and people and time and... But this is just void. You can record someone a week later and then, and then record someone else a month later and then merge them together and it's seamless conversation and no one's done I'm like, it just blew my mind. And I started writing a show straight away, you know. Because that had Hollywood-level talent as well. It did, yeah. It. And, I mean, it's proved to be a gateway to be a TV show as well. Absolutely. So, Correct, yeah. yeah. And it's just like I, I know what it costs to make a film and I know that what it costs to make a podcast, and that it's it's negligible. Like it's it's worlds anyone. Apart. It's worlds apart. Yet the satisfaction level is as, just as high. In terms of raising the funds for it, you went by uh, about this in quite a unique way. You started up a uh, a Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wrote a show. Yeah, so I wrote a show called Arena, a fictionalized four episode podcast. And I wrote it. Actually, I think I was on a campaign. I think I was on a federal campaign. And at night, you get bored because there's nothing to do. You're away from your family, and you know. And so I was writing every night. And I looked up websites like Fiverr. Where are the voice talents? You know, well, am I going to get? I thought, thought, how am I going to produce this thing? Am I going to get people into a room? Am I going to talk to them? And and then I thought, well, hang on, people, people, there's voice talent on Fiverr. Yeah, you know, websites like that. Let's look it up. And sure enough, there they were. And I looked up the rates. I did the math in my head and I thought, okay, for a thousand bucks, I can get all of these 20 or so vocal parts recorded 
for a thousand bucks and have a whole an entire show produced. I'll write it, I'll produce it, I'll I'll mix it and edit it all together. These guys just send me the the audio quote, and then away we go. And that's making a movie without leaving the house. That's amazing, and was, it was great. Was there much revision in terms of were you directing the voice work or would you send them a script? And I thought that there would be. I was really afraid, but when I sent the script. Um, for the people who had the designated roles, they would write back and say, yeah, I get this. And then they would record their parts and send it through. And I'd say, yeah, you do get it. And now there was a few tweaking moments here and there because you've got two people holding a conversation and they don't know each other and they're not in the same city and, and it has to sound like they're actually having a conversation like you and I are. And I think I've winged it. Right. You know what I mean? People in the know can tell. If you were just tapping into this show, Arena, if you were just you know found it and you had to listen... I dare say I've pulled the wool over your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and what were they recording into? I have no idea. All right. Yeah, just... I just... Uh, they, they were all pros. Right, of course. You know, uh, they're on Fiverr. I said, look, here's the script. This is your part. Here's your fee. Send me back what you got. And they did. And it sounded great. Is it something you're looking to do again? I would 100% do it again. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone to do it again. This is the indie new wave. It was filmmaking. It was, you know, Ed Burns, my old mate. You know, yes. Brothers McMullen. $5,000 on the streets with a camera. This is the new wave. Audio fictional podcasting is the new wave of creative storytelling on a budget. But the satisfaction level is still high. It's brilliant. And the only thing you had to outsource was the voices. That's right. Yeah. I didn't have any location worries. I didn't have to pay for food. Didn't have to pay for camera operators. Any of that sort of stuff was all taken care of, you know. And people's imaginations filled in the gaps. You paint the scenes and you paint the images in your head of what the dialogue that's taking place. And to me, that's just perfect. In the instance of Homecoming, which you mentioned before, I mean, as you said, they went on and made it its own show. It's a really new and, and interesting testing ground, I suppose, to see if something registers with audiences. And therefore, is it worthy of a studio, Netflix or otherwise, their investment to see what they can make out of it, you know, in a longer term? Sure, thing? sure. And I get that. But as a caveat to that, I haven't even watched the TV show. I'm not interested. I've heard the story and, and it plays well in my head. I don't really care what the TV adaptation looks. The you podcast know? was better as the new, the book was better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's what I personally feel. So uh, I think it's great for the writers that they're able to sell their work in that regard. Someone was to come to me and say, I, I think there's a production element that I'd like to bring to a I'd gladly say, it's yours. Here you go. Take it away because I'm done with it. I feel very satisfied with that project, probably more so than I've ever done for any of my feature films. And it was the last thing I did before I started studying and I was great. I was hanging my hat on it and like, great, now it's time to start studying and I'm glad that I got that done. With the wigs, do you bring some of that kind of narrative into their process at all? I mean, they do tend to cover a couple of different topics in their podcast. Yeah, there's definitely a structure with the wigs and it's kind of my job to sort of maintain and whip that so that everybody remains focused. The Whigs are obviously very careful about what they say on particular topics and when I do try and sort of draw out more detail, I recognise why there's not, that doesn't go into certain details and certain elements because it's for any legalistic reasons that you can't sort of pursue certain rabbit holes, you know what I mean? Mm. If I can, more so than I will. If we can go down a fictional element for the wigs, which I think we're interested in doing, I think we're going to do a mute court episode down the line and, and actually have a case and have two sides to an argument on a podcast. That's something that we're talking about. Interesting. And you've started having guests on as well. Yeah, they have. And it's great because it means that the show's registering outside of the, of the sphere of the four of us. And there's some topics that 
really require the experts. And during COVID, we had uh, an expert in industrial law because there was people worried about what it would mean pre-JobKeeper days. And most recently, there's a, there's a conflict going on in Azerbaijan uh, involving the Armenian community. And Emmanuel Kirkasharian is, uh, is, is Armenian and was able to reach out to Jeffrey Robertson QC to be our latest guest. And he was fantastic. And when you start a show called The Wigs featuring barristers and you get arguably the world's most famous barrister on within a year, I mean, it, it feels like we're ticking the right boxes in terms of uh, the, the way the show's going. So, yeah. So tell us about the feedback you've been getting on The Wigs. The feedback I get is... On the group chat, Manny and Steve and, and Flick will be like, oh, I was just at the Supreme Court and someone came up to me and said, I love the wigs. And I'm like, man, I want that. I want to walk down the street and have someone come up to me and say, I love the wigs. I, never, I don't get any feedback. Interesting. So they're getting people within legal circles, fan, yeah, and they, fanboying, fangirling. And they love it. Oh. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're obsessed with it. And they, they know it too. <laughs> so tell us how you grew the show. Episode one, you just put it out into the universe. Pretty what much. Was strategy? Yeah, there wasn't a strategy. There was, there was, there was. Let's get together. Let's record. Let's see how it goes. In fact, that was the last thing we said to each other was, let's see how it goes. And it started with, the, and the episodes went from month to month. The, their schedules were such that the show has to be recorded monthly. We'll try and knock out two episodes in a session, in a recording session, and we'll release it biweekly. That's the plan, anyway. But these guys are up at four in the morning reading briefs. They don't have the capacity to do a weekly or a daily show, which is great for me because I'm the editor of the show. When we finally came to our Black Lives Matter episode in which Manny um, was representing the clients for the march to go ahead. And this is a march in Sydney. This is a march in Sydney, yeah. And it was uh, ruled against in the Supreme Court and Flick, Manny and Steve found the error in law and were able to go to the Court of Appeal two days later in order to have the decision reversed so that when we got to the Black Lives Matter episode it was interesting because on the sidelines you had the three wigs working hard like Manny was on the first instance of the case trying to get the march to go ahead this is the march in Sydney in the Supreme Court he was in the Supreme Court he was working until Friday night this is so how serendipitous it all was that was the day we were getting our photos taken for this big spread in the Sydney Morning Herald. So Manny's in his wig garb, but he's actually just run from court to get his photo taken with us for the Sydney Morning Herald. Runs back to court. He was there till midnight. Loses in the first instance. Then the three of them work hard through the night. And then on Saturday morning, they put through the Court of Appeal submission and it get, got reversed. The The Court of Appeal recognised the error in law, got reversed, and the march could go ahead 15 this, minutes beforehand. This was amazing. Like the, the podcast itself running through this whole process and, yeah. this, and having the three of them be united on an actual case that they were working on yeah. together. I yeah, yeah. Obviously, you said uh, Stephen and Flick worked together. I mean, is this the first time that all three of them had combined? No, they regularly do. They, they do? regularly do. I mean, they run their own briefs. I don't want to speak on their behalf in that regard. But, I mean, the nature of advocacy work is you consult your colleagues a lot. They're really good at sort of um, devil's advocating each other's way approaching a case or a brief. But this particular instance was so fancy. It's like commentating on a, on a game, on the grand final, right? Like, this was as high as you can get. The, the future of protest laws in the time of COVID, these guys were beheading that. This all just blew up. In the meantime, they're writing a piece on us in the Sydney Morning Herald. We're getting our photos taken. And then we go, okay, we need to hit the mics on Monday and talk about this in real time. And I got to act as sort of the Ray Hadley, like, okay, and then what happened, you know? And they told the story in real time. We got that episode up on Tuesday and then the Sydney Morning Herald thing dropped on the week later. And and then the show just like just huge you know it was all just this moment in time stuff and like you said stocks like the show makes a difference these guys were able to use their advocacy skills get a decision reversed in the supreme court get thousands of people to march for a black lives matter movement 
and then speak about their experiences on this podcast, which then blows up and filters through to more and more people. It's really a moment in time stuff. And I get to be in the middle of it somehow. I don't know why. <laughs> Snuck yeah, in the middle of it. Was remarkable. I think So anyone looking to start a podcast, that's the secret, right? Photo <laughs> yeah, yeah. shoot Friday, Supreme Court <laughs> Saturday, March Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just lucky. I'm telling you, I'm the luckiest guy. Uh, you'll know that I've been around a long, long time. And uh, I just got lucky. You know what I mean? You, you stick to it. You, you keep know. hitting the ball up, mate. That's right. You yeah. keep hitting the ball. And then eventually someone walks in and says, can you produce my show? And then it happens to be the one. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, you've covered a lot of uh, other topics throughout the shows. The pill testing. There was one where you talked about the rappers one four. Oh yeah. Social distancing laws. George Pell. I mean, there's no oh, yeah. shortage of content to talk about. Crazy year. How do you select? You know what makes the cut? Oh, look. I mean, uh, some. That's an interesting question. Like when George Pell got convicted, we started the show. And we had to talk about it. Uh, there was serious questions about the process of the case. And the Wigs had a thing or two to say on it. I don't, I don't want to paraphrase them. I encourage people to listen to episode one of the Wigs. By episode 10, he was acquitted unequivocally by the High Court. I mean, pretty much the ruling mirrors a lot of the concern that, was ra- that the Wigs raised in episode one about the process of evidence and how it was interpreted in the Victorian courts at the time yeah, that led question. to his conviction. I mean, how do we select topics? I, I think we just got lucky, mate. I think it's just uh, been one of those years where it's just a lot of amazing stuff that needed to be discussed. You know, COVID laws, how are they affecting? They're getting changed. Everything's being written in, in ordinance and delegated authorities to the medical professionals. These are rife for legal dissection. Yeah, even the communication aspect. I mean, in the Black Lives Matter, we heard the story about Stephen and and uh, Flick being, I don't want to say undressed, waist down. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I had to do it via Zoom. Yeah, in the Court yeah. of Appeal via Zoom. And these, that, that never happened. You know, there's no Court of Appeal via Zoom. Like, that's changed. Yeah, it's just been one of those years, Jules. It's just mm. seriously where this is the right show at the right time. The topics, mate, they're just coming up. Oh, it feels like you've got a bottomless well. This I can, know. This can go on forever. Yeah, so. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. So do you have any new projects in mind? The Wigs is my number one podcast. I, I, I would love to work on more. Uh, I just don't have the time. I have another fiction podcast in my head, which will hopefully get made one day. I know the process of doing so now. It's very easy to do that. Uh, I'd love to start my own podcast when I finish my degree, another legal-based podcast that actually sort of delves into what are the laws, you know, what are the bills that are being produced in Parliament and how do they affect you? I would love to talk about that. I feel like that's not broached enough i'd love to do that um and just dissect it and rip it apart if it needs to be you know where's this coming from um but these are just you know wishful thinking you know because i'm just don't have the time how do you find that with uh studying if you're studying law i assume some of your other colleagues or students that you're working with are maybe fans as well do you walk yeah in, look rock star into the no i know no well we've been doing it so we, thankfully when the wigs blew up all the lessons got shifted to zoom and uh and nobody knows yeah no i've I'm, I'm fly under the radar everybody knows the wigs on the forums and the chat and the chat the law forums that i'm a member of through my university they uh they're all posting wigs links and i'm like yes yes i i know i know so you're I, making sure to ask them what fun stuff yeah, <laughs> That's right. yeah 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 but but nobody's pieced two and two together thank goodness so i'm flying under the radar um and that's where i like to be because especially if they get better exam marks than me <laughs> <laughs> so yes we might have to out you in 2021 jim <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe so, Jim, what other podcast do you listen to? So, since I've finished my exams, I've just gone on a, on a great binge. Have you guys listened to Rabbit Hole, New York Times Rabbit Love Hole? Love it. How good is it? 
fantastic podcast. For those who don't know, it's an investigative journalist podcast into the rise of YouTube uh, and how it developed as a website that then funneled the way people think. So I've been listening to that. I, I was blown away by that. So I, you know, I love obviously this American Life, um, Reply All, and all the the investigative shows, and they they are so inspiring. And I listen to that. I hate listening to them because they make me go, "Oh, okay, great. Now I'm going to do one." You know, and I don't have time. But I but I hear that stuff, and I'm like, I want to do one. But I really recommend uh, Rabbit Hole to anyone who hasn't listened to it. It was one of the greatest shows I've heard in a long time. And what recommendations would you have to anyone looking to start a podcast? Oh, that's a good question. You know Gimlet, Gimlet Audio. So that's run by a guy who used to work for This American Life, Alex Bloomberg. Alex Bloomberg. So he's just the greatest podcast king, right? And he ran a show called Startup or something. That's right. Yeah. I jump on that one. Because it's the show about starting a podcast, really. And obviously it parallels with him starting the business that became Gimlet. But it really just shows you the process. Like he is out in the streets. You hear the the subway train passing him as he's talking into his microphone. And it's inspiring as a podcast because it makes you go, oh, okay, I I can do this anywhere. I don't need a studio. I can be on the street. I have an idea. I need to get it down. And and little things like that are important to inspire people to go, yeah, you you can do it. Just It is. It's it's pitch meetings with Chris Sacker, things like that. Sure. It's going, it's that level of detail. That's a brilliant recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I love that show. So uh, uh, if you're starting out, jump on that one. And also, look, if you're starting out, uh, don't listen to a show. Just record something and see where what happens. Have a bit of a play with some audio, you know? Like, th- there's no better education than jumping in on the tools and having a go yourself first first and foremost. And use basic tools. Use your, mic- use your phone. Don't use a computer. Great advice. Jim, thanks for coming in. Thanks really for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Loving the wigs. Links to everything we discussed in the podcast are in the show notes. This is a partnership between the Australian Podcast Awards and DM Podcast. New episodes of Behind the Podcast are released every Wednesday morning.